Good morning, everyone, again, and welcome to all of those who are watching online. I'll read from Rays of the One Light. These are weekly commentaries showing parallel passages between the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. This is activity versus inner communion. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Last week, we contemplated the well-known story of Martha and Mary. Traditionally, this story has been offered to show the two classic approaches to salvation, the first through action and the second through prayer. The excuse of the Marthas of this world has always been, the church needs its Marthas too. Treatises, moreover, have been written to justify the Martha approach to piety, praising her self-sacrifice as perhaps an even higher de demonstration of devotion. Thus do the unmeditative in religion try to justify themselves. Yet the fact remains that Jesus rebuked Martha. Elsewhere, moreover, he spoke of the virtue of feeding the hungry, curing the sick, and housing those who were homeless. It wasn't that he disapproved of serving people. Wrong attitude was the object of his criticism. What he was criticizing was forgetfulness of the true goal of right spiritual action, Good deeds outwardly, without inner communion with God, result in good karma, but will not bring final freedom from all karma. The path to inner freedom was described by Paramahansa Yogananda in these words, Be always calmly active and actively calm. As it says in the Bhagavad Gita, the second chapter, he who is not shaken by anxiety during times of sorrow, nor elated during times of happiness, who is free from egoic desires and their attendant fear and anger, such a one is of steady discrimination. Do your duty in life, so counsels this great scripture elsewhere, but never lose sight of him to whom all action should be dedicated. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Sunday service. And Today, as most of us know, is Swami Kriyananda's birthday, May 19th. I'm going to move this just a little bit. <laughs> there you go. Um, he would have been 93. He passed away when he was almost 87, so it's been six years since he passed away. But it's so remarkable. <laughs> it, Okay, it's so remarkable that his spirit seems to grow even stronger as the, with the passing of time and his presence in our lives. 
And so we thought today we would dedicate, since his birthday falls on this Sunday, we would dedicate and focus the Sunday service on him. And uh, the passage from the rays is a perfect uh, way to begin. But first I'll read from Master's Whispers from Eternity. And I'm reading this with Swamiji in mind. All futurity danced in me the infinite rhythm. I disconnected my awareness from the little garden plot of my senses and switched it to the vast territory of the infinite. The aurora of my awareness spread like dancing waves of light in the aurora borealis and embraced thy cosmic wonderland. When thus I entered that vast panorama, my awareness no longer dulled by the opiate of sensory noises, nor blindfolded by the veil of mere appearances, I stood marveling before countless streams of radiant rushing thoughts, rippling through millennia from long dead, still living, and yet to be born civilizations. All time, past, present, future, danced its infinitude of rhythms on the stage of my all-embracing consciousness. So let's begin talking about Swamiji in reference to our raised reading, activity versus inner communion. When I think my first encounter with Swamiji, the first moment, was July 4th, 1969. So my birthday at Ananda is also Ananda's birthday. Um, I hope I didn't bring any of my bad karma to Ananda on that day. But I, I, was, I had just arrived. I had gotten a ride from the Midwest, from Madison, Wisconsin, out to California, and was sort of dropped off down in the master's market area. I had a little backpack and a sleeping bag and a few other things. Um, and there was nothing. There was, Master's Market was much more dilapidated than it is now. <laughs> there was an old barn, which has subsequently fallen down. And there was a little pig sty, because it had been a pig farm here. And there was nothing. And there was no one around. It was just like, oh, I traveled for three days to get here. <laughs> and then I felt something behind me. And it was like, a flow of energy, like it was like a wind, really. I thought a big wind had come up behind me. And I turned around, and there was this man walking forward. And I'd never seen anyone with that bearing before, with that posture, just this remarkably erect spine, shoulders back, focused. He was dressed very casually. He had on Bermuda shorts and a colorful print shirt. My memory was that it was a Hawaiian shirt, but he said, no, no, I didn't have a Hawaiian shirt then, so I'll take his word for it. But he just moved past me, and I'd never felt the presence of anyone like that before. It was like purpose, a man with a purpose. And you could feel the energy carrying him, a wave of energy carrying him forward. And 
then I think it was a few days later, I was standing in the dust there, and I just thought, something big is going to happen here. I don't know what it is, but I know. I could feel it both from the presence of that man and just the energy. And of course, that man was Swami Kriyananda. And he said a few things to me on that occasion, which showed that he knew me pretty well, even though we had never met. And I was sort of surprised by that. And then began the weeks and the months and the years of Swami being calmly active and actively calm, never stopping, never letting up, writing books, giving lectures, traveling, supervising development of the community, always, always putting out that energy, expressing it as it flowed through him, but always with the sense, and this is the important thing, even if I look back at any project I was involved with with Swamiji, it was always with a sense of, I'm doing this to serve God. I am not doing it for any other reason, not to become important, not to get recognition, not to have, make money, anything. It was always, always that calm-centered mission of, as we sang in that song, let come who will, but if they all turn home, your soul knows the answer, go on alone. And there was that purpose. If people came, fine. If they didn't come, fine. If they understood what he was doing, fine. If they didn't, fine. I am doing this because I am serving God because that's why, that's the purpose of my life. And so it was with that intense activity but always centered. I never saw him uncentered. And believe me, we went through some pretty challenging times together, but I never, no matter how difficult it was, I never saw him any other way but calmly centered in himself. And in a way, it was a little challenging because you always felt his center of reality was not in other people, although he cared about them deeply and he did everything he could to help them. But his center of reality was his love for God. And that's from the point from which everything sprang. And it was, it was the most incredible gift. Many of us were trained by him, spent time with him, heard him lecture. Some of us didn't. But I do want to encourage you, if you want to draw the blessings of Ananda, attune yourself with Swami, because all of this is mastered through him. It's nothing less than that. And so it's his, that power of the gurus, that power of the soul, saying, I will do this for you, God. And if people don't understand me, so be it. But I will do this for you. And he did. Once we were visited by a spiritual teacher from India, uh, San Kashavadas. This was during Swamiji's lifetime, but Swami was away. And we were showing San Kashavadas around. He was a lovely, regarded as a saint from India. And he just shook his head as he saw everything. And he said, what a lot of tapasya, what a lot of sacrifice Kriyananda did to create this place. He understood that it was not 
just a free gift. Oh, somebody gave us a whole bunch of money, and then the buildings went up. It was tapasya. But that tapasya, don't misunderstand. For in his case, it was a joyful self-offering. I never saw him like, oh, what do I have to do now? You know, it was always, Lord, I get to serve you. Even if I'm sick, I get to serve you. Even if I'm tired, I get to serve you. Even if I'm uh, misunderstood by others, I get to serve you. And so there was always, always that flow of energy and calmness in the storm. And many of you know this story, but uh, once it calmness in the storm, we were driving up to Tahoe, a small group of us, to go skiing many years ago. Swami skied. And uh, it started snowing over the Donner Pass, and the flashing lights pull over, put on chains. Swami was driving, driving and skiing. Many of you didn't know him in that stage of his life. But so Swami put his foot on the brake. But unbeknownst to any of us, the tires were bald, and the car went into this tremendous skid. And it was just swirling across I-80, is it? Yeah, I-80. And then our cars were coming this way, and, and we were just all like that. Swami was driving. And the woman sitting next to me in the back seat got, she freaked out, and she started screaming, Swami! like that. And the car kept spinning. And then finally, it crashed into a Greyhound bus parked along the side of the road. And Swami turned around, and he said, what? <laughs> but always, always that calm at the center of this storm. And still, I can feel whatever happens in the sub has happened and will happen in the subsequent years, it was, I can feel him with us saying, Write it out. Don't, don't take it so seriously. It'll all work out. Just be in that calm center. But then another aspect, I don't want you just to think he was this workaholic. Another aspect was his love of that which is beautiful and harmonious. And that we hear in the music so much, and in his writing, but it's more accessible in the music. And one of my favorite songs of his is Emerald Isle. And there's that beautiful line at one of the verses. My song is the story of the lilacs of May. Well, what story do the lilacs of May have? They don't have a story. They don't have drama and conflict. They're just the lilacs of May. And they're beautiful. And they're an expression of God's beauty and joy. And when the lilacs bloom at Crystal Hermitage, I just, there's that Swami story. And let me pause one moment here and think every pair of hands and heart that create those Crystal Hermitage gardens, those ch changes people's lives to go there. And, you know, we had, rough estimate, 13,500 people visiting those gardens. And I don't think anyone came away without hearing the story of the lilacs of May. Just to be able to see. And I remember when we would be riding in the car with him, there would often be these certain kind of clouds. And I always, in my mind, I always thought of them as Swami's clouds. And they would just be 
many colored, fluffy, beautiful astral. And that's, he opened, and that's why he created Crystal Hermitage, because he knew we were on a, creating the community, well, we need, to, it, it could be very utilitarian. And we need this, and we need that, and, and that's fine. Of course we need a utilitarian, functioning, practical community. But we also need the lilacs of May. And that's what he showed us. Don't ever forget to stop looking at the wonder and the beauty all around you. And in every sunset, every little bird, to see God's presence there. Because that's the story of the lilacs of May. And it goes on and on. And it's fresh all the time. It's, it's the dewdrops and it's the, um, the roses and it's the beautiful souls that come one by one from all over the world to our Ananda centers worldwide. And it's so beautiful to see because you can be in Assisi, you can be in the New York City Center, you can be in one of our many centers in India, Mumbai or uh, Delhi, wherever it might be. And you see people coming for the first time. And you know, you can see that look in their eyes. They've come home. And that's the story of the beautiful souls that are drawn to that vision that Swami created. And then finally, that's what I read that Whispers passage about hearing, vo hearing the, the speaking voices of past, living, and the future. There was a beautiful book that was written a few years, some years ago, by I believe it was T.H. White. It was called The Once and Future King. It was about King Arthur. It's a beautiful book. And that's how I always saw Swami, the once and future king. Because he was a king. I mean, he, he, Master told him that, uh, that Master had been William the Conqueror, William the Norman, and Swami felt and, and that he was his son, King Henry I. And Catherine wrote a beautiful book about it, Two Souls, Four Lives, about the lives of William and Henry and Master and Swamiji. So he was a king, and he had that nobility about him. And it was, you couldn't be around him and not feel, not demeaned, but uplifted. And I'll tell you a little story. One of, one of the sweetest memories I have of him, people were always trying to figure out who they were in that lifetime with Swami. <laughs> and some of them, I think, got pretty close. And we were talking with Swami one time. This was over in Assisi, Italy, at his home. And he, people were talking, then finally he looked at me, because I always kind of backed up at that point, because I didn't have any clear feeling about that. And he said, well, do you have any thought about who you were? And I said, well, not really, Swamiji. I, I think I was your daughter, and I was some obscure princess that didn't have a really big role to play. And then the conversation went on, and then we were leaving. It was the end of the evening, and we were just at the door. <laughs> and Swami looked up, and he said to me, good night, princess. And it was just like I was his daughter. And it was such a sweet moment, such a sweet moment. 
But he, he's also for the future, not just the past. We live the present with him, but he was always showing us the future. He said, for example, that busloads of people, this was when the gardens were really not developed at all, and he said, busloads of people will come to see this garden. And we kind of looked at him and said, really? But it happened. It happens. And so many things. He said, well, Master said that the community's movement, the community's lifestyle would be the lifestyle of the future. And we don't see it happening now, but we see the, the disintegration of the world as we know it. I believe we see the disintegration globally of politics and government as we know it. And something's got to rise to the surface. Some lifestyle has to rise to the surface that gives people, validates their worth and their meaning. And so Swami was part of the future. And so many of the things he said, we couldn't see it. But we, as time goes by, we see, oh, that's coming to pass, and that's coming to pass. And with permission from Christian, he told me uh, this morning, and I thought, oh, this is too good not to share. He said he had a dream about Swami a few nights ago. Christian's a young man who lives here who is currently doing the sound booth, and he said I could say it. So <laughs> he said, I'll just be beat red. It's OK. <laughs> but he said. He had a dream about Swami a few nights ago. And Swami came in a spaceship. And he landed and here. And, but the spaceship had a big square window. And they looked in. And it was this beautiful, comfortable living room. It wasn't like the spaceships <laughs> with the Star Trek and, you know, take us out, Mr. Sulu, you know, and all that. Um, it was just this comfortable living space. And I thought, that's the kind of spaceship Swami would have. <laughs> And then he invited everyone into the spaceship, and he just hugged and embraced everyone. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's where he is. He's, he's not limited by time, past, present, future. He's not limited by body. He's not limited by uh, anything now. But he's present. He's present, past, present, future. And he's guiding each one of us. He's saying, come, come join me. Come join me in my astral ship and leave behind this world of sorrow. Leave behind this world of delusion. Join me. And he has given us all the goal. And he's given us the way. And he's given us the example of his life. And he's also given us his grace and blessings to be able to come to where he resides, to join him on his astral ship of joy, devotion, and love for the guru. So we celebrate his life now and into the future. And may the, each of us, as we go deep in our deeper, ever deeper, in our spiritual life, in our efforts. May we feel his guidance, because it's there. He wants us to join him. And he wants Ananda to be a place all over the world where people can awaken 
and say, I knew, I knew there was purpose, I knew there was meaning, I knew there was joy, I knew there was a spiritual home, and he gave all of those to us as he found his own freedom. Oh